0: Once I said, this is house deposit money and the bank account was labelled with a little emoji of a house, I was like, every spare dollar is going to this. Every time I do, you know, I get fifty dollars from my grandma for helping her do her groceries or if I complete a survey or I get a gift card from work, it goes to this goal. And that changed the game for me. It really did. Okay, so you've pulled it off, you've got your deposit and you're ready to buy. You're dreaming of the day that you put the sold sticker on the sale board, and then it'll be time to relax, right? Well, not necessarily. There's every chance that first year is going to be a little bit shit. I wasn't ready for it. In fact, I ended up taking a side gig, working as a property writer for the Australian Financial Review. That was on top of my full-time job in advertising. But I don't recommend working yourself into the ground just to survive. I'm going to speak to my old boss, Dave, who put up with me in that first year of home ownership. I was really lucky to work for a company that came with a lot of perks, including a bar that I'd take advantage of on Friday night, sometimes perhaps a little too much. But Dave knew I was working two jobs to get by. I wonder what he thought about that. Am I meant to have the countdown? I've got the countdown. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a cracking start. (laughs) All right. All right. Behave yourself. I'm going to start now. It was quite amazing to work at the Royals when, you know, I'd just bought a property. Um, I settled and moved in um, within my first few months Uh, and that was a a huge transition for me. Uh, What was I like as an employee at that time?
1: I remember the house thing being a big deal. So obviously your interest in, um, you know, property and, you know, how to access that regardless of your, you know, where you are in your sort of commercial financial situation, um, I think the pressure—the pressure on employers when you recognise that people don't really think they're earning as much as they could or should—and I think all employers know this, and empl- employees probably know this as well. But if you ever manage people, and where your decision is, so if you've ever run a company where your decision literally is how much to pay people for for what they contribute, well, not just for what they contribute, but how to keep the whole thing running. Um, those 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 challenges are really on the surface when people are struggling to meet their own means and ambitions like buying a house or raising kids or whatever. So you've kind of as an employer, you've got to you've got to kind of go, This person, you know, is earning that much because that's how much we can pay for that skill and, and and to keep the lights on. But we also know and recognise, in answer to your question, how are you? You also recognise that sometimes people are going through tough times where they're you know their spending is um above their what we're paying them and and as an employee, you can feel responsible for that, but unfortunately, we've got to try and see the bigger picture as well as um, you know listen to people's challenges,
0: yeah, of course, I mean you were running a business, you're not a charity, and um you know you paid me what you paid me, and that was fine, but I did take on a second job for a period of time um I was writing um the executive property column for the Australian Financial Review to um to get myself a bit of extra cash and make ends meet. Now I'm pretty sure I told you about that. Do you remember what you thought about me taking on second a second job?
1: Um I I do remember that. I remember you telling me that and I remember thinking I remember thinking that's surprising, not because um I was against it, just because it was uncommon. Like I, I hadn't heard you know people tell me that before to be honest. Um, not that I was managing heaps of people, but you know, people have their side hustles. People have you know little gigs they mess around with. Um, taking on another job is feels like a, a step beyond having one of those little kind of other things you might get paid for. Then there's the question of whether you need to. Like if you, if if any any given person feels like they need to have two jobs to to do the thing they want to do, then as an employer of the first job, you kind of think. Maybe we should have a chat about that because um, there's something not aligned with, with the amount of time you have to invest in your week with, you know, the the money you need to be taking home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my view, this was my choice. I had, I had stretched myself to get into the property market and it was my responsibility to manage that. Believe it or not, I really made it a priority to ensure that the quality of my work um, remained high. Did you ever see it... Um, as, as a problem in terms of the quality of my work or do you think I handled it pretty well?
1: I remember, you know, we talked about it and I remember and, and a lot of other people had things going on as well, um, you know, living situations and some of them are financial. A lot of them are financial. Um, so, no, I, I don't remember it being a problem, the quality of your work. It was more about meeting these, meeting these ambitions of um, having property and, you know, needed to do it in a certain time frame or whatever it was um there was no i don't remember there being an impact on the quality of work it was hovering around you know really good to quite good <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think that might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me <laughs>
1: no so i was just going to cut it and just go and, and have a real dig and go yeah it was basically not only the quality of work was impacted it was, impact. and it was Still makes it as shit
0: as it ever was. (laughs) He's mucking around, obviously. I was really lucky to have a boss that I could have these kinds of gags with. I loved working at the Royals. This kind of banter is what kept me going. There are lots of people who are working second jobs. I've spoken to several people who are working side hustles, which sounds like a lovely, fluffy thing to describe it as, Mm. but it's quite often, you know, a matter of trying to get ahead.
1: No, I think that's fair, and I think I've noticed that over the last sort of five to eight years that there's that's a lot more frequent, and it comes in lots of different forms. There's compromises, and you know, it, for employers, it's it's around like metrics and maintaining like a, a profit level or whatever it is. Um, but when other things are giving on the other end, when something's giving, so if interest rates go up or down on on a on a mortgage. Um, at the other end employers don't have to adjust anything so the employee the employment employee thing is quite fixed whereas market stuff does all sorts of other stuff and that's a real it's it's it's, it's unfair in a way but the trade-off is job security but the but the but the negative is um, that it's kind of fixed in a semi-linear way you can ask for a pay rise but you also don't The employer doesn't have any responsibility to adjust your situation for market conditions, which is weird, which is a weird function of capitalism if you think about
0: it. It really is. But also I think um, working for the royals in particular was really interesting for me because we did probably go beyond the – professional line quite a bit. I was very open about what was going on in my life. Um, uh, you know, a lot of us were. And, um, and you know, perhaps some employers aren't exposed to that. I did the right thing by telling you I was taking on side work. Um, but, you know, I'm sure plenty of people don't do that.
1: Um, no, I think that's true. I think, um, I think creative agencies are a subset of an industry that's reasonably – Kind of you know, accommodating and open, and probably you know, left wing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, creative agencies within that are probably uh, the you know the thin end of the wedge as far as like being open to all sorts of different situations and side hustles and paid gigs and stuff. But the further you go away from that kind of, um, I think part of that is because those those kinds of companies like creative agencies and marketing advertising. Are, have a rich kind of freelancer ecosystem anyway. So they kind of understand, I wouldn't call it the gig economy, but they understand like hours and trading hours and paying for hours and things moving around as part of the way they do business. Um, Whereas other industries, nearly every other industry wouldn't, you know, you couldn't easily, like you say, it's a binary decision. You either have a job or you have a different job. You don't have two jobs normally. But well, you're right. I think I think over the last few um, few years, one I've heard more of it, but two I'm conscious of um, how much I haven't heard about it that people don't necessarily talk about. They just do. So, would you recommend that you know people entertain second jobs, or would you think that they kind of find a different job in order to support their kind of lifestyle ambitions and investment and financial ambitions?
0: I think I can't make a recommendation. It depends on what you want your life to look like. I loved my time at the Royals. I loved working in a creative agency. Um, This is an awkward thing to say. Could I have been earning more money? Perhaps. But I loved coming to work and I loved the people that I worked with and I loved the culture. So I chose to take on a second job because I enjoyed working at the Royals. Mm Mm-hmm. Other people might go, do you know what, I just I, I want a corporate job or I'm gonna get a trade that pays really well and I reckon you
1: know. I reckon I reckon um, these days the work life balance discussion has like shifted back to kinda of go, you know what, like put it in context. A lot of companies are trying to do four day weeks and stuff like that. And there's a lot of science that goes four day weeks not just achieve you obviously as productive, like everyone seems to know that. Like when 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 people, often women in the past have gone like four days, they end up doing the same amount of work because they have the same amount of care factor and they have the same amount of like mutual obligation to do the stuff. That doesn't disappear by 20% just because you're not there. So I think it's a, such a slippery slope that you've got to, you've kind of got to go, you know what, I think one job's okay. Um, or being a freelancer or whatever is, is a whole different kettle of fish, but one job's okay and if I'm not, if I can't, support that where i want to go then i might need to get a different job but i think it, 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 it depends on how long you want to do for it right like like do it for so you know you probably had a thing in your head where you were thinking i can do this for a couple of years but i can't do it forever that's a factor if you feel like you can do it forever then you you know you wouldn't do it
0: it was never going to be forever this this was a stopgap i, I knew that um but I also enjoyed the side work that I was doing. I think it's much harder. Had I had I worked all day at the Royals and then gone and done another couple of hours of work that I hated, that would have been a totally different story.
1: Yeah, I think, I think um, uh, again, through the lens of like working from home and COVID and stuff, it's quite tricky to see clarity on some of these things. But in general, the principle I think should be, you know, even though it sounds corny, um, the whole, you know, work to live versus live to work thing, it, it, it kind of makes sense. So I get your point you've got to hustle and, and, and do that kind of grist meal stuff for a portion, but you've really got to be careful with kind of going, can I split myself over a couple of jobs and think of them as, as kind of full-time jobs versus going for one job and planning it out and structuring it that way that you kind of go, I might be able to get a pay rise here, but it's got one thing rather than two things. Um, but but what, what what you had though, like what we we're just talking about, was that was that social and cultural stuff that had a had a price. So it sounds like you've um, you've acknowledged that you know you needed to do the second job thing because you were working in a place that paid slightly less than a bigger place like a, a bank or a Telco or a consultancy or something like that. Um, but what you got was the culture, and you needed that as well, so, and that has a that's a benefit.
0: There were many upsides of working at the Royals. But for me at that time, one of the amazing benefits was we had a bar. And so I would stay and drink perhaps too much. I perhaps took advantage of, of the perks that were on offer. Um, but that was a real upside for me. Did you realise that I was staying at work on a Friday night because I couldn't afford to go out?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... No, I didn't realize that. (laughs) No, I never, I never joined the dots between you, kind of having and 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 that the the other gig thing. I kind of forgot about after a while. Like I didn't, it wasn't like a major thing for you know you at the royals or for me. Um, You didn't forget about it. Obviously, it was like this is like the main thread of this discussion. But for me, it wasn't like an ongoing issue that you had another gig, Um, and so I didn't really connect the gig thing. With the drinking at the bar thing Friday night, as in an affordability ecosystem. <laughs> um, but uh, no, look, I think I think um, again as an employer that the, the bar, the, the bar staff, the um, not bar staff, obviously that's a bit over the top. The bar stuff and table tennis and you know video games and music and graffiti on the wall and whatever. Um, are all part of that kind of, you know, experience and work experience and culture that is um, of that, you know, of that industry. So you know where the where the money stuff comes um, becomes quite abrasive, is where you have these expectations of working with people and loving it, but also being paid in a certain way that is often compared to companies that don't provide that other stuff. So yeah, I, I think when you're in it, you can't really understand that. But looking from the outside, um, you can see that different companies handle that different ways and, you know, culture has a cost.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that culture has a cost and, and um, you, know, terrible, I, but, you know, I, I, no, but, you know, it, it did, the, the money spent on, on the culture, whether that be the table tennis or the, you know, barbecues or whatever, the result was while it wasn't a family, this group of people were extraordinarily extraordinarily supportive of me during that time, oh, yeah, and yeah. it was it was really incredible. These, you know, I, I left the Royals what uh, five years ago now, and I maybe four years ago. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I'm still friends with a lot of people that I've worked with. Of course, yeah. So, you know,
1: that's yeah, I'm not I'm not denigrating. I think I think the the reality is we started. Rules, thinking about culture and then, you know, like I said before, did the other stuff, did yeah. the other stuff afterwards. Um, and because, mainly because if you're going to spend 40, 50 hours a week or 80 hours a week or whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: that's for another chat with the ACTU podcast coming up next week. <laughs> um, uh, then why don't you want a nice place with plants and why don't you want nice music and why don't you want, good people
0: and honestly you know it it was quite incredible because had I not been in that environment that 12 to 18 months would have been a lot harder than it was
1: <laughs> so so um what, when did you realize you were coming out the other end
0: um it was when i moved to richmond so um i had my investment property in Mordialic, as you know and i was commuting from mordyleck to richmond and when I got a tenant in my property and moved to Richmond and I could walk to work and I had a housemate who was splitting the cost of living with me, everything got easier. So Dave's really good fun and I was really lucky to have a working relationship like that. But let's get serious for a moment. Here are some quick avos of wisdom. Taking on a second job can work, but only if it doesn't interfere with your primary source of income. I didn't want to underperform in my day job because I was tired from my side hustle. You still need to be a functioning human in that first year of home ownership. I honestly repressed quite a bit of my stress during that time and it definitely came out in different ways. Dave saw this firsthand. Next, I want to speak to Kevin, one of my favourite real estate agents. He has plenty of advice for first home buyers, particularly in a hot market which is making it increasingly difficult to beat out the competition. Let's just begin a little bit with um, what first home buyers in particular might expect from the process of working with an agent. Now, I understand that you work with the seller or the vendor, as they're also known, but can you tell me a little bit about what's involved for the buyer?
2: So, um, from a buyer's perspective, um, it is actually quite difficult sometimes to um, go out and have a look at properties um, very often, buyers will be out looking, and I've got a lady at the moment that's looked at over 100 properties, and uh, she's really uh, disheartened with the whole buying process. Um, we see that quite often, actually. Um, I often see also that people, uh, buyers, perhaps should have bought the first property that they, that they looked at. But because they want to do their homework, they will go and have a look at multiple properties. It sometimes um, confuses things more than actually helping them. Not saying that uh, that you shouldn't uh, keep looking, but um, in that in the particular case like this lady, yeah, it's it's really got got to got to her, and I can see that in other people as well.
0: That's really interesting. So in the case of um, this lady who's looked at 100 properties, is, is this a case of her uh, looking for too long and being priced out of the market or is she looking at prices, uh, looking at properties that are beyond her budget? Why, why is it taking her so long?
2: I think it's a mixture of, of both actually. Um, perhaps a little bit of uh, um, indecision from from her uh, I did speak to her about this same situation last night and uh, and she said, If I had have had my time again, I would have bought one of the first properties that I saw. It was right at the time I wouldn't have paid as much as what I am going to need to do now, and the market has moved on.
0: Can we talk a little bit about how you establish? what the price of the property should be? I mean, we're seeing quite often that there'll be a price guide and then the property will go well beyond that price guide. How do you work out what the property should be listed for?
2: So um, for any valuation of a property, um, we always use values of properties that have been sold um, in the past six months, maybe even a bit more if it's a unique property. But what you can't, can't count on is perhaps what the market is doing today and in four weeks' time. And specifically so over the last year since we've had these lockdowns, um, who would have even imagined that the market has increased so greatly coming out of all of these pandemics that um, uh, even though we may say that a property is worth maybe $500,000 today but then achieve five hundred and fifty. You know, in in four weeks time, it's, it's actually uh, something that's not so easy to predict, but we do have to plan for. Now, auctions are usually quoted a little bit differently to uh, private sales. Private sales are usually a, an asking price or a small range, more, uh, usually a little bit higher, um, and that leaves a little bit of negotiation there with a the buyer, uh, whereas an auction is usually quoted a little bit less, but within reason of a 10% sort of a guide of where um, the vendor would like to see the property be sold.
0: I I am consistently stunned um, by the way that property prices are continuing to rise. Now, I understand that you work for the person who is selling the property, but can you perhaps provide some hints and tips for buyers who want to get the most out of the experience and, and, you know, be in their best possible position to secure the property that they want?
2: Um, It it is a difficult um, one to answer, actually. So for as a buyer, my uh, my best suggestion is to stay in touch with the agent that is looking after the property and be honest about where you are comfortable at a level and the agent should be open enough with you to let you know perhaps where other buyers may be um, whether or not you actually have a chance of of being able to purchase the property so stay in touch with the agent be open about where you sit and what your budget is um, and share that with them so that they will also do the right thing by you and and keep you up to date uh, of where the process is
0: what what compromises can people make i mean should should people be buying something that needs a renovation that they can add value to, or should they be moving further out from where they want to live what 's the best way to i guess make up for the fact that you might be going a little bit lower than you need to yeah you you're to?
2: spot on so um, we 've helped quite a number of buyers just uh, recently. Um, mainly first home buyers to actually look a little bit further afield than where their ideal position would be, not quite country areas but but you know moving a little bit w- further away from the city. Mm-hmm. most people are looking to be you know, in a position where they're close to a shopping center, um, where they're close to public transport um, and all of those. Things can still be achieved a little bit further out of the city, so to speak, and uh, and and still get you a beautiful home, perhaps looking at something that does need some renovation is a good way to go, and still being able to afford to be in a, an area that is uh, more to your ideal should people be buying in a hot market can they can they expect their property price to continue
0: to? Or can they expect their property to continue to rise in value even in a hot market? Or should people be waiting? What What do you think is going to happen?
2: So it's actually very incredible what is going on. And moving further afield like Ballarat or uh, Mount Eliza, the peninsula, you know, the, all of those places are all of a sudden so popular because we've had a whole change of structure in the way that we live and the way that uh, people want to live. So some people would like to move closer to the beach. Other people would like to be further uh, further out and have a perhaps a, a, a larger home that they can work from because people can now work from home. And that's something of a uh, reflection of what we've been through. And we will see continue through into the future
0: mm, I think you're right and and I guess while people are perhaps disheartened um buying in in the city, looking at prices that are just extraordinary, there are opportunities in in other locations, um, regional towns, there's just so much growth, so many young people saying I can't afford in the city and I don't yeah. want a $900,000 mortgage, I am, yeah. I'm going further out. And that is a privilege. You need to be able to work remotely or or find a new role in, in those kinds of locations. But I think that's an important message to wrap up on. There are opportunities if you're prepared to to look to different lifestyles and, and yeah. different locations.
2: Yeah, find, find an agent that's willing to help. Um, perhaps try and get onto their... Um, email systems where they're sharing properties that are uh, going to come up off-market perhaps opportunities and uh, just keep in touch if you're looking for something um, I'm sure that something will come up and and you can negotiate a good deal on for you that suits your um, budget but I think first and foremost it's still just get your foot in the market it's uh, it's a terrific thing to be able to own your own home, and uh, especially for first home buyers, it's uh, generally it's a year to two, three year investment, or maybe even a five year plan, um, to then uh, you know move from that first home into your second. You might already have a family or be thinking about a family, so um, that, those are the instigators that will see you look for your next property, and uh, but getting your foot in the market is the main thing.
0: Kevin is not your average agent. He's really honest with prospective buyers and that doesn't always happen. Because of that, it pays to know the market that you're looking at and what people are generally paying for similar properties in your chosen suburb. It's great to do your research. But sometimes, if you're looking for a long time, prices can rise beyond your original budget. Take the case of the woman who looked at 100 properties. In hindsight, she felt that she could have bought one of the first places that she looked at. Waiting for perfection comes with budget implications. A good agent will be honest with you in terms of whether a property you like is something that you've got a serious chance at. Have open conversations about what you can afford and stay on their radar. Even if you don't win a property that you're keen on, they might be able to direct you to others in the future. Next time, we're going to talk about going off-grid. Could you live in a tiny house? Is it as easy as just whacking a little home on a plot of land? Not always. We'll find out what's involved in setting up a sustainable and potentially more affordable dwelling. I'll catch you then. The information in this podcast is provided for entertainment and educational purposes only. It is general in nature and does not apply specifically to your circumstances. If you're considering purchasing property, it's always best to speak to a licensed financial professional before making any decisions related to your goals.